0: beds. All thoughts of my gag reflex went out the window. I cleaned up their vomit along with my own. (laughs) Once my son Derek slipped on some playground equipment and burst his chin open, I was the first one there getting blood all over myself and taking him to the ER. I think I was wearing white too. It wasn't pretty. And, also, and although this has never happened, thank goodness, I imagine the sound of a fire alarm and the smell of smoke in the middle of the night would cause me to disregard my sense of modesty and all thoughts of what the neighbors would think of my mini Shamu nightshirt from SeaWorld. <laughs> no judging, ladies. No judging. Anyway, what they would think would never even cross my mind. In Paul's case, The fact that the Corinthian church had become disloyal to God, the thought that they had fallen under the spell of false apostles and had defected to another gospel, causes him to abandon his conviction against boasting. He is forced to reaffirm his apostleship, his credibility, and his character because the issue is so very serious. The false teachers have exalted themselves as if they were true apostles Eagerly praising themselves and the Corinthians were impressed. These were his children in the Lord, among whom he had spent almost two years ministering the word of God, where he had poured out so much of his life in order to teach them and ground them in the gospel of Jesus Christ. All that these Gentiles knew about Jesus and why he came, who he is, what he did, and the gospel that he established, they know because of the Apostle Paul. Therefore, their their disloyalty to him is a disloyalty to Christ. They aren't just questioning Paul's character. They are questioning the truth of the gospel and are disobedient to the truth of God. Verses 1-5 through I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness, Paul says. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Indeed, I consider that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. There is a little mournful edge to Paul's tone in these opening verses. The word used in the Greek, aphalon, expresses an unattainable or highly improbable wish. Paul sets out to boast with the hope of gaining a respectful hearing, even though he considers it a remote possibility. What Paul is about to do is sheer nonsense in his eyes, but he is willing to do whatever it takes to forestall disaster at Corinth. Paul decides to defend himself for the sake of the message, not for the sake of his ego he knew the false teachers were seeking to undermine his message because they simply didn't believe it their goal was to undermine the christian faith he taught the gospel was at stake paul gives the corinthians three reasons for indulging him in his foolish boasting first is his divine jealousy for their purity second is their willingness to put up with a deviant message and third, because he is no, in no way inferior to his rivals. Paul feels a godly jealousy for the Corinthians, one that arises for a deep passion for their welfare. Paul's jealousy is like that of a father who has betrothed a chaste daughter to a bridegroom. He has promised the Corinthians to one husband, to Christ as a pure virgin. In Jewish culture, it was the responsibility of the father of the bride to ensure his daughter's virginity during the betrothal. During, Paul sees himself as the Corinthian spiritual father whose responsibility it is to ensure their faithfulness between the point of their salvation and Christ's return when the church will be presented as a pure virgin to her groom but something threatens to rob the Corinthians of their purity. Other suitors are on the scene seeking to lure them away from their devotion. Paul's fear that their thoughts might be led astray is well-founded. Someone has come to Corinth and is depriving Christ of a loyalty that is rightfully his. The Genesis 3 account of how the serpent deceived Eve serves as a truthful illustration of what is going on at Corinth. The false teachers were being unscrupulous and resorting to trickery and slyness, just as the serpent did in the garden. Their goal is to divert the Corinthians from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. They were assaulted with these teachers who were exposing them to things that caught their attention, but they were drifting from the central point that Christ is sufficient, that he is adequate, They were involved with fascinating philosophies based on the word of God but which went off on sidetracks and bunny trails. That's why it's so important to study God's word and to compare what you hear to his word. This is still happening today. These types of false teachers are still thriving. They invite the unsuspecting to explore strange and wonderful mysteries all involved with Christian faith. This isn't made up stuff. God's truth is interspersed with clever lies that sound right and good, yet move them away from the truth, from a single-minded devotion to Christ. Ladies, the Christian life is simple. It is loving Jesus Christ supremely and only as Savior and Lord. The danger of false teachers is that they shift you off of Christ. They shift people onto rituals, ceremonies, works, miracles, experiences, psychology, entertainment, you name it, whatever, rather than knowing and loving the Lord Jesus Christ. The second reason for Paul to play the fool is the Corinthians willingness to put up with false teachers who present a different message. They had come to Corinth of their own accord. Paul makes a distinction between those who came and he who was sent, namely himself, an apostle sent by God. These men had come on their own and the Corinthians had simply given them the pulpit, accepting them in their lives. They preached another Jesus. It was not the Jesus Paul had preached to them. These false teachers didn't come in and deny Christ, They just perverted who he was. They twisted around his identity. They believe in Jesus and they talk about Jesus, but it wasn't the Jesus Paul preached. They came under the power of a different spirit, not the Holy Spirit, and and the gospel they preach isn't the true gospel Paul embraced. These men may have spoken with great skill and ability, but Paul preached from personal conviction. He knew the real Christ. The third and final reason for Paul to play the fool is the fact that he doesn't think himself in the least inferior to these super apostles. The word used here for think means to draw a logical conclusion from a given set of facts. Paul isn't just spouting an opinion. I'm better than they are. He has carefully reviewed the facts and drawn a legitimate rational conclusion. Verses 6 through 12. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way we have made this plain to you in all things. Or did I commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached God's gospel to you free of charge I robbed other churches by accepting support from them in order to serve you. And when I was with you and was in need, I did not burden anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied my need. So I refrained and will refrain from burdening you in any way. As the truth of Christ is in me, this boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. And why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And what I do, I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do. Paul is saying, they call me unskilled in speaking, and they might be right. He is an untrained speaker, but there's nothing wrong with his content. The false teacher's charge was that Paul lacked expertise in well-fashioned phrases and lofty sounding language, something they excelled in and used to their advantage. In Paul's judgment, however, his knowledge, his understanding of the truths of the gospel and insight into God's purposes more than makes up for his lack of flowery speech. It seems the Corinthians had gotten caught up in the outward form and appearance of things and lost sight of what was truly important. Another charge was that Paul, unlike his rivals, preached the gospel of God free of charge. The false teachers claimed it constituted an admission that he was a second-rate apostle. But Paul emphatically denies this. In fact, he has already made it plain to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 9:12 that he waived support so as not to hinder the reception of the gospel message he did not want the gospel associated with a solicitation for money and rejected for that reason paul's response in verses 7 through 12 is noted for its biting sarcasm did i commit a sin in humbling myself so that you might be exalted because i preach god's gospel to you free of charge paul supported himself through a manual trade while planting the church at corinth within judaism Manual labor wasn't looked down upon. In fact, it was part of Paul's training as a rabbi that he be able to support himself through some form of work. The attitude in Greek society, however, was quite different. The educated person, or those of high social standing, would consider it humiliating to have to do manual work. Paul could barely make it at times, but he still wouldn't ask for anything from the Corinthians. The false apostles were charging that Paul didn't ask for money because he knew he was an amateur apostle, not a professional one like they were, and not qualified to seek a fee. The real reason, of course, was that Paul wanted to show them that the gospel was free of charge. God offers salvation freely in Christ. At some point, Paul received funds from the Macedonian churches. He calls the money he received from these believers robbery. The word Paul uses here is a military term that means to strip bare or to deprive a fallen enemy of his armor. Paul is making quite a bold statement. His ministry at, at Corinth was at no cost to the Corinthians because he had plundered other churches of their funds instead instead of expecting the Corinthians to support him. Paul refused to put a price tag on the gospel, refused to be a burden to the people he ministered to. Unlike the false apostles who claimed that their mission was equal to Paul's, he was a man of integrity. He preached the truth of Christ in love and he lived by his convictions. Verses 13 through 15. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light, so it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Paul strips off the facade of those false teachers he calls them phony impostors, masquerading as apostles of Christ, but they were not sent by Christ, and they're not teaching what Christ said to teach. They're teaching attractive lies instead of the truth. He can tell from their methods that they are deceitful workmen. There is more at stake here than empty boasting and exaggerated claims. Their misrepresentation of their missionary activity isn't the result of self-deception or careless exaggeration. It is deliberate, and it is treacherous in intent. The treachery stems from impure motives. They claim that their purpose in coming is to serve Christ, when in reality, all they care about is serving themselves and at the Corinthians' expense. Paul says these people are like their master, Satan satan disguises himself as an angel of light he is most effective in the church when he comes not as an open enemy but as a false friend if the devil knocked on your door and said hey i'm the devil i've come to ruin your life i want to trip you up destroy all your relationships fill you with hatred and violence and i'm about to do that starting today may i come in (laughs) only a fool would invite him in and offer him a cup of coffee It would be so easy to slam the door in his face with that approach. However, if he comes with a smile, bringing coffee and coffee cake, gluten-free of course, and says, good morning, I want to be your friend. I've come to help you. I want to introduce you to something so alluring, so exciting, so fulfilling, that you can't afford to miss it. Let me help you. Well, that's how hundreds of lives are being destroyed today. In Ephesians 5:6, Paul says, Let no one deceive you with empty words. Don't listen to people who are eloquent, but their words have no substance. Don't be taken in by a nice suit or loads of theological degrees, a sincere flashing smile, whatever the deceiver has decided to use. Colossians 2.8 says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. We need to realize that there are deceivers everywhere. Satan comes with all deception of wickedness. My daughter Rachel works in musical theater. And it's amazing how she, how she can transform herself into someone I don't recognize with the artful use of makeup and wigs and clothing. Well, as talented as Rachel is, and even if I am her proud mama, I will tell you she is very talented. She can't hold a, a candle to Satan's bag of tricks. 1 John 4 1, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Ladies, don't just accept what somebody says is from God. Test it, measure it against the word of God. Just because they talk about God and Christ and the gospel and the Bible doesn't make what they're saying true. God has graciously provided his word for us we need to use it for the enemies of Christ only judgment waits Paul says their end is inevitable their works will determine their end they have done Satan's work and will share in Satan's fate verses 16 through 21 I repeat let no one think me foolish but even if you do accept me as a fool so that I too may boast a little what I am saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since, must, since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face. To my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. In verse 16, Paul finally gets back to the subject of playing the role of the fool. In verse 1, he had asked the Corinthians to bear with him in a little foolishness. But now he warns, let no one think me foolish. The term fool literally means unwise and refers to someone who lacks sense or reason. This isn't a stupid or a witless person, but rather someone whose self-perceptions are blown out of proportion. The distinction is an important one. While Paul considers what he is about to do, the act of boasting, sheer folly, nevertheless, what he is about to say is far from foolish. If he chooses to boast, he, unlike his rivals, would be speaking the truth. The Corinthians should take what he has to say seriously, but if they decide not to, he asks them to receive him just as they would a fool. After all, they are quite accustomed to putting up with fools and gladly receive them. The fools, the fools Paul has in mind here, of course, are the, fool, are the false teachers. If the Corinthians can tolerate the self-important gibberish Of these teachers, they can also tolerate a little of his boasting. While boasting, Paul doesn't want to be taken as speaking with the Lord's authority. He sarcastically points out that bearing with his senseless boasting should pose no great problem for them since they are used to putting up with fools. The false teachers are fools because of the exaggerated opinion they have of their self-importance. The Corinthians gladly put up with them, thinking themselves to be so wise as they do so. The irony of the situation doesn't escape Paul, nor does the danger. The Corinthians should have seen through these false teachers, but they chose not to. They received them with pleasure. Although they considered themselves so wise in their dealings with these intruders, they actually allowed themselves to be walked all over. First, the false teachers were enslaving the congregation. The word used here for enslaving means that they were in absolute subjection to these teachers. They had totally (coughs) lost their autonomy and were being ordered around by these leaders. Second, they were exploiting the church. The Greek term used is the one used of animals of prey and means to eat up or devour. These false apostles were literally eating the Corinthians out of house and home, devouring all their possessions. Third, they were taking advantage of the church. The Greek word means to take unawares or to catch, or to catch, and Paul uses it to imply that they were caught by trickery or taken over by a scam. Fourth, they put on airs. The word for heirs means to hold or lift up and gives a picture of individuals who have a lofty stuck-up opinion of themselves these are people who drown if it rains finally they are striking their church in the face the Greek word literally means to flay or to skin it usually refers to a physical beating or flogging but it is also used figuratively for insulting insulting behavior the overall picture is appalling Paul would never stoop to such levels. To my shame, he sarcastically states, we were too weak for that. This is what the false apostles have accused Paul of being. Bold enough when away, but timid when actually face to face. At last at verse 21, Paul proceeds to boast. His plan of attack is to meet the opposition point for point. When anyone else dares to boast about, I also dare to boast about. The things Paul boasts about are not of his own choosing. These are prompted by the claims of the false teachers and the expectations of the Corinthians. Verses 22 through 33. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from gentiles, danger in the city, Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus. He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Paul begins with his heritage. The false teachers were Jews from Palestine, Hebrews, Israelites, Abraham's descendants. They may have pointed out that Paul was from Tarsus, not born in Jerusalem. Paul simply replies, so am I. At this time in history, Hebrew designated mother tongue and place of upbringing. According to Acts 22.3, although Paul was born in Tarsus of Cilicia, he grew up in Jerusalem. He looks on Palestine as his home and Aramaic as his native language. In Philippians 3.5, Paul calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He is an Israelite, a member of God's chosen people, one of Abraham's descendants. He can match his Jewish pedigree against these intruders point for point. When it comes to service, however, Paul can confidently claim that his surpasses any of theirs. Are they servants? Should actually read, do they claim to be servants? While they might consider themselves servants of Christ, Paul certainly doesn't. In truth, they are false apostles and therefore servants of Satan. Far greater labors, greater or harder labors, come from a, comes from a Greek word commonly used of physical labor so intense that it causes one to collapse in bed at night from utter exhaustion. Paul worked long, grueling hours both as a missionary to the Corinthians and also as a tent maker to support himself so that he would, wouldn't be a burden to them. He continues, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, often near death, five times 39 lashes, three times beaten with rods, Once stoned, three times shipwrecked, adrift at sea for 24 hours, dangers from rivers, robbers, his own people, Gentiles in the city, in the wilderness, at sea from false brothers in toil and hardship, sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, cold and exposure. Quite a resume, right? Instead of pointing to his accomplishments, how many churches he planted, how many people he's preached to, how many he's converted, he goes right to the most dominant feature of his life as an apostle, his suffering suffering is the proof positive that he has brought the truth and the light of the gospel to a sin-filled darkened world matthew henry wrote of paul when the apostle would prove himself an extraordinary minister he proves that he had been an extraordinary sufferer besides everything else paul says there is daily pressure of my anxiety for all the churches In an age when we can phone, email, email, or text in an instant, it's hard to imagine the weeks or months it would have taken Paul to get news of a colleague or a church. Paul's pastoral anxieties would have included concern for the temptations that living in a pagan city like Corinth posed for Gentile Christians. His pastoral concern leads him to identify with the weaker brother or sister. Who is weak and I am not weak? who is made to fall, and I am not indignant. He had sympathy for people. He felt deeply for the burden of moral, spiritual, and doctrinal issues among believers. He loved the church. Paul next tells a story about when he had to get lowered out of a window in a basket. How humiliating. Sneaking out of town in the middle of a night so a bunch of pagans don't take your life. And he prefixes this by saying that the Lord knows he isn't lying. You would think that he was going to make some great pronouncement. I mean, he's the only person, as we'll see in chapter 12, who went to heaven and came back for Pete's sake. But he doesn't talk about anything grand. He tells of a humiliating escapade that underlines his weakness. Why? Because he knows that only when he is weak is God's strength made perfect in him. To God be the glory. Let's pray. Father, Father, we thank you for these words penned by Paul's hand through your Holy Spirit. Help us to look at spiritual things in the light of reality. Help us to be submissive in devotion to you, Lord. Help us to remain lo- loyal and faithful to your truth, Lord, we want to be faithful to guard our hearts against the error that is all around us. Thank you for the gift of your word, for your Holy Spirit to help guide and direct us. Keep us pure and faithful to you until that great day when you come for your own. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you.